0: All right, so we're going to read Romans 2, 12 to 16. We're just dealing with these verses tonight, and we're going to break them down and make application, and prayerfully, the gospel will emerge clearly, and prayerfully, we can respond together as one church by taking communion at the end. Before we read, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get into your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Father, you have revealed yourself not only in nature and what you have created, but you've specially revealed yourself in your word. You've given us what you want us to know. You've given us in the person of the Holy Spirit and by your word, all we need for life and godliness. I pray for your help now, Holy Spirit. Give me the words to say, I pray that you would be moving among the hearts and minds of the people here, the people watching online right now. Would you move by your mighty working through your word as only you can do? Father, we pray, convict, tear down, build up, encourage, do your work of growing and transforming us more into the image of Jesus, we pray. Help us to have a gripping attention. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. All right, Romans 2, 12 to 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We'll start in verses 12 to 13. What we have here in verses 12 to 13 are hearers versus doers. Hearers versus doers. Now last week, Justin set us up fantastically uh, with with his message, and what we have here is people who tend to judge other people in a self-righteous way, not realizing that by them judging others, they judge themselves because they do the very same things that they get upset at other people for doing. This is standard human blindness, Sin is blinding and we're blind to our blindness. And what happens is we often can point the finger at others not realizing that we've just condemned ourselves because we can see it's wrong in someone else yet we do the very same things. And thus, knowing it's wrong, condemn ourselves by pointing out the wrong in someone else. Justin, thank you for helping us last week with that. Continuing in Romans 2, Paul now says all who have sinned Without the law and with the law. Two types of people. One who have the revelation of God from the Old Testament, probably specifically the moral law of God and the Ten Commandments. There are those who have it and they know what God requires. Summed up, Jesus said it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the sum of the law or the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. But there are those who've never heard of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are those even still today in remote places of the world who've never heard the name Yahweh or Jesus or have ever read a Bible. And they will and have been since the creation of man perishing without that knowledge. And this text deals with what happens to those people. What happens to the people who've never heard of Jesus? What happens to the people who've never heard the gospel? Do they get some kind of pass for that on judgment day? That's what Paul is dealing with here in a roundabout way. And so here in in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we have these sinners, because look, all have sinned without the law. And all have sinned under the law. So we're dealing with sinners here. And there's only two categories in this verse 12 here. There's you have the law and you're a sinner. Or you don't have the law and you're a sinner. Period. In other words, we're all sinners. It's just some have more light about who God is and what he expects than others. And those who have more light will be judged more harshly on judgment day. And we'll look at that in detail as we progress through the verses here. And so, law, think of it as the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. Those who have sinned without the law uh, are those who've never heard. They they don't have the Bible. They've never heard of Jesus. Um, They don't have Scripture as their foundation for reality or glasses by which to view all things through. They don't have this light, if you will. So, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Now we learn later in Romans, we're jumping ahead a little bit, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is? That's right, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here, perishing is death. And so you can see from that interpretive grid that because there is a perishing without the law, it means that sin is in the mix because only by sin do we perish. Now, backing up, we know that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. In other words, there's something wrong deep within us, broken deep within us, called a sin nature, and the symptoms are the sins that we commit. We lust, we lie, we're greedy, we get unrighteously angry, and so on. Those are all symptoms of a deeper reality called sin that lives within us. Okay, that's the problem. And this is why those who don't have the law still perish because they were born broken. They were born depraved, if you will. They were born as a sinner. And so they sin or express what is inside of them, they express their nature. All the law does, friends, truthfully, is give you a mirror by which to see yourself clearly through. And this is what James says in James 1 22 to 25, he says this Be doers of the word. Now here's what James is, if you will, New Testament wisdom. And another way to think about James is it's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Because he touches on all the same topics as Jesus does. And James is very concerned with people who claim to have faith, yet they don't live out what they claim. James is very concerned that people say, I have faith. And James says, all right, you got faith? Show me you have faith. I want to see it. By what you do and how you live and what you say you'll show me your faith is the real thing by how you live and you can claim faith all you want but if there's no evidence James says I'm not buying it that's where James is at and so he says be doers of the word this is what he's concerned with not hearers only don't don't just listen to God's word do it is what he's saying if you hear only you deceive yourself for verse 23 if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror you're just staring at yourself in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, you could tell James has a, has a positive view of the law, the moral law of God. He, he says it will liberate you. It'll free you. It won't be a cage that traps you and confines you and presses you. No, it will free you. He has a positive view of the law. And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his, do, in his doing, excuse me. Now, here's what James is getting at. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we see a reality reflected back to us. What the law does is it shows us that we are sinners. The moment you compare yourself to God's righteous standard, all you can do is say, I am a sinner in need of a savior. No one looks into the perfect law of God and thinks himself, herself righteous and right. Right? Because the law will show you your sin, and that's its purpose. There were sinners before Moses got the Ten Commandments and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? We didn't need, in a sense, the law to show us we were sinners. People died from Adam till Moses got the law. That's coming later in Romans. Showing that sin was in the mix, otherwise they wouldn't have died. Because the wages of sin is death. And so, James here says, look, you you look into the law of liberty. This is a beautiful thing. And you see that you're a sinner. You should acknowledge that. And then, you should do what it says rather than just listen. Now, James goes on in chapter 2, verses 8 to 13, to say this. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, Jesus said that's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. It takes care of the whole second table of the Ten Commandments that deal with people on people. You are doing well. Okay, if you fulfill, then you're doing well. You got it, man. You're, you're doing awesome if you fulfill it. But look, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Look at verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. Now, I know some of us are like, look, I'm not that bad of a person, right? Pete just gave that statistic. I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good on the whole. I'm about 75% good and 25% bad. James here says, no, no, no. If you fail at one point, God regards you as a lawbreaker, and it's as if you've broken the whole thing. You will not be able to stand on judgment day. One transgression of any of the one laws, God regards them as all broken, friends. God's righteous standard is perfection. And this is why when you look into the law as a mirror, it condemns you and you see yourself as guilty. At least you should. Verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. In other words, the same God whose moral character is reflected in the law, if you violate one, but yet you keep another, you violated them both because you're violating the character of God. They're not arbitrary laws. They reflect the God who is and whose image we were made in. And so breaking one is breaking the image and the character display that we are supposed to display and we defile the whole thing. The whole thing is broken. So, verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, I want to just for a second drill in on that. He says, speak and act as those who are to be, future tense, under the law of liberty. Now, law of liberty for James is there is a forgiveness of sin. By the death of Christ, his perfect fulfilling of the law on your behalf, and then his dying on the cross to pay for the sins that you committed, and his rising from the grave to accomplish redemption, this is forgiveness. But at the same time, the moral law of God still reflects God's character, and it gives us the guide by which now to live. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Commandments 1 through 4. 6 through 10 is loving our neighbor as ourselves. Just because Jesus fulfilled them and just because now we don't go to hell for breaking them doesn't mean they're irrelevant. When you live according to God's law by the power that He gives you to live according to His law, you glorify Him. God is not uninterested in obedience, friends. I don't know where we've got this in gospel centered churches where, all right, obedience is out. No, it's not. James here says, look, you don't be a hearer only. Do it. Your doing it will prove your faith is legitimate. Yeah, we're saved by faith alone, but not faith that remains alone. Right? All right. So James says it's the law of liberty. It's not the law of condemnation. It only condemns without Jesus. But with Jesus, the law is liberating. You should see it like that. John says in his epistle, uh, it's not as if his commands are burdensome. They're lovely to those who love Jesus and other people. And we mourn and grieve when we can't fulfill them. And so look at 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, this will reflect your humility if you understand how much of a sinner you actually are. Because your only option, friends, is to cry out to God for mercy. And if he is merciful to you and forgives you, then you ought to do likewise to others. But see, what we tend to do is we tend to get in our sin, which is uh, uh, expressed by self-righteousness, and we begin pointing the finger at everybody else, saying, you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong. Meanwhile, forgetting that you've been shown massive mercy. And so, blessed are the merciful. Finish it, for they will be shown mercy. You see how this works? You receive mercy, and it should so transform you that you become this dispenser of mercy yourself. And if you're not a merciful person, but yet a very judging person, perhaps either you need to grow in understanding the mercy you've been given, or perhaps you haven't been given it. Because the more you realize you're a sinner saved by grace, the more you will be a merciful, humble person. Now we want to get there, don't we? I want to get there. I see my failure every single day. And the choice is wallow in the failure or ask for grace and forgiveness and ask for the power to do better. Let's do the second. Let's not wallow in our mess. One day we will be perfected. Verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. All right, now, James just set me up nice for this verse. Remember, if you fail in one point, you have failed the entire law. So Paul says here, if you fulfill the whole law, you'll be justified. Who fulfills the whole law? One person, friends. There's only one sinless, righteous human being, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who has fulfilled the law. And so if that's the standard, verse 13, not a hearer, but a doer, there's only one who is saved by works. And his name is Jesus. And yet he was crushed when he should have been saved. So that we don't have to be crushed and we get saved. That's how the gospel works. It's a substitute. And so if you are able to fulfill the law, perfectly thought motive deed words consistently throughout your whole life you'll be saved by your works the problem is since day one you've been sinning from the beginning we're all in trouble but Jesus has done the work that we could not do now let's look at verse 14 For when Gentiles, now these are are non-Jews, okay? In, In the mind of Paul and the Jewish people, there were two categories, if you will. There was Jewish people and there were Gentile people. Every other ethnicity outside of Jewish is Gentile. I think all of us in this room, I think we're all Gentiles, okay? For when Gentiles who do not have the law, Ten Commandments, by nature, that word's important, nature, do what the law requires... They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Now, that's interesting. What he is saying here is there are Gentiles who've never read any of the Ten Commandments, yet they do, at times, the Ten Commandments. And they do it most often by pointing out when they've been sinned against. Here's what it looks like. How dare you lie to me? How dare you steal from me? How dare you gossip behind my back? How dare you bite my back behind my back? How dare you? And so they prove they understand that there is a moral standard. And often it lines right up with the Ten Commandments. How is that possible? And the answer is because God has made everyone in his image. And even though the image is broken and shattered, we can't help but reflect him in some ways. In addition, the second way is God has given every human being a conscience. And that conscience is informed by ultimate morality, God himself. Though it's broken, twisted, and warped, and it doesn't work right, it still functions some of the time. And so when Gentiles who do not have the law do the things required by the law, they become a law unto themselves. Now Paul talks about this in Corinthians 9 21. He says, to those outside the law, these are these Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Here's what Paul's saying. In my mission strategy, Paul says, I don't act Jewish around non-Jewish people. I'll eat meat that is unkosher if I want to. I won't follow the certain festivals of the Old Testament if I don't want to. I'm not going to be Jewish around non-Jewish people so that I can reach them. But then he says, on the other hand, "I I will act Jewish around Jewish people to reach them because I am under the law of liberty. Now, he's not talking about moral failure. He's talking about customs that don't matter to God once they've been fulfilled in Christ. Right? New Testament believers can eat shrimp and bacon and ham sandwiches. Praise the Lord, right? And amen, right? Grits and shrimp, throw some bacon in there. We're not under the law anymore in the calendar, dietary, civil sense. We're not there anymore. It's fulfilled in Christ. So Paul says, I can move in and out of those spaces, for the sake of mission. I can move in and out, okay? And so he says, for those outside the law, meaning Gentiles, they don't have the moral law of God. I became as one outside the law. Now you remember this in Acts. He, he appeals to God as the creator of all things. They have a category for the creator. And so he'll appeal to God as creator. But then he doesn't hesitate to say, but there's coming a day of judgment. And there's one man by which we must be saved. But his starting point is not Old Testament. It's creator. The God who made heaven and earth and the seas and everything in them. He's moving in Gentile spaces. And so he says here, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. It's the doers. Now, I just want to make a quick application to you guys. Do you realize that we do not come to worship gatherings or study scripture or memorize scripture or go through theology courses just to learn. Learning for learning's sake or maybe learning for argument's sake. I just like to win arguments. I like to debate and I like to win, so I'm gonna learn. No, friends, if that's your purpose, just to learn to learn or learn to debate or learn to, to squabble with other people, you are failing, friends. You should be learning to do It's not about the hearing. So imagine you can memorize large portions of Scripture and you could sit someone down for hours and explain and expose it, yet you live none of it. Friends, that is not good. The point of learning it and understanding it is to act on it by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, command what you will, but grant what you command, Augustine. command me however you will but give me the power to do what you command this isn't a mental exercise friends christianity is not just the intellect only it involves the intellect but it's not stopping there it moves into life and action real consequences in the world Okay, so it's not the hearers who are righteous, but the doers. And, and we said, no one can do the law appropriately. All right, now I want to ask the question. Um, verse 15 will set us up for this question. They show, these Gentiles without the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. The question I want to ask here with this 14 and 15 is, what about those who've never heard? What about people who've never heard the gospel in, 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 in the deep Amazons, for instance? Deep in the jungles where, where you can't penetrate without a plane and without serious outdoor gear and without serious skill to not get eaten by bugs or large cats or large snakes. Okay. What about those people? What's going to happen to them? Well, they will be judged according to the law written on their hearts. And if they can fulfill the law written on their hearts perfectly, they will be saved. But see, we already learned in in a verse earlier that no one fulfills the law because they're perishing with the law and they're perishing without the law. So now the question is, is there unfairness with God? How can God judge someone who's never had opportunity to repent and believe? And see, What we think about is this. We think that in the same way that we who've grown up in Christian homes and we've been given the gospel since we were little kids and we've been discipled, we think that God will treat us on judgment day the same way as he will treat them. And that's just not the case. And I can prove this from one of Jesus' parables. Let's look at it. It's in Luke 12. Jesus is warning here, his disciples, and he's saying, you must be prepared prepare yourself. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Be ready. Be like servants waiting for the master who's coming home. Blessed, happy are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes, not asleep, not sleeping on the job. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants, okay? So if Jesus comes and finds his people waiting for him and doing what he's asked them to do, namely make disciples, teaching them to obey all he's commanded and he's with us always, even to the end of the age, using the gifts God has given you and the opportunities he's given you, you will be blessed and he will serve you at his coming. That's what it says. But, 39, know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would, have, um, he would not have left his house, let his house be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The illustration with the thief is, if we knew a thief was coming, we'd be ready for him. In the same way, if the servants knew when the master was coming, they could get ready. I once worked in a supermarket, and I stocked shelves, and, and it was a terrible job, <laughs> but, but I did it for two years, making like $5 an hour, okay? And I did it faithfully for two, for two years. And so one of the managers had this giant ring of keys, and he would walk really fast, like me when I'm setting up before worship gathering here, and you would hear him jingling. And it was purposeful, because if he was coming past, he wanted you to hear him so you would get to work, It was kind of like a warning. I'm coming. You better be working if I walk past you. And so we would be like, you know, smacking the other workers. Stop talking. Hurry up. Put something on the show. You know, and and the idea here is Jesus is coming when you don't expect friends. He just said it. He is coming and you will give an account, but you don't know when. And if you knew when you would probably get your life right. It's kind of like if you're given two weeks to live, you'll shape up quickly in the face of death but Jesus is coming quickly. Now, let's continue. 41. Peter said, response, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Is this just for us, the disciples, or this for everybody, the whole crowd? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household? Okay, who is the servant whom Jesus will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom the master will find doing so when he comes. Now remember, I I gotta do this. When Peter was being reinstated in John 21, after he had denied him three times, what did Jesus command him to do? Feed my sheep. Remember, Peter's talking here. Who is the faithful and wise manager, Peter, whom the master sets over his household to give them their portion of food, feed my sheep at the proper time? Blessed is that servant, Peter, blessed are you whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in a lot. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delaying in coming. And he begins to beat the male and female servants and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Now listen to verse 47 and 48. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready Remember, getting ready for the master's coming. Who did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Harsh judgment. But, verse 48, the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. Hmm. Doing the same thing, doing the wrong But yet, what's the difference between getting a harsh beating and a light beating? Knowledge of the will of the master. Everyone whom much has been given, of him much will be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Friends, here's what's being said here. There are those of us, especially in America... Who have been given so much light. And we will be accountable for all that light. I imagine, you know, we are, we are told in Deuteronomy 6 and in Ephesians 6, we are to train our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're to talk about God when we rise up and lay down, when we come in and go out. And I imagine kids rebelling against that, yet been given so much light. How harsh the judgment on judgment day For those quote unquote Christian kids, it's gonna be bad. And so I fear for them. I was one of them in rebellion before God grabbed me from running towards hell full speed. But yet there are another group of people here who didn't know the Master's will, perhaps those deep in the Amazon jungle. And they will be judged, but it will be a far less sentence. And we must not think of hell and heaven as equal ultimates, meaning they're not, as as awesome as heaven is, I don't think as terrible as hell is going to be for everybody. There are other parables we could go to to prove that there are degrees of punishment in hell, depending on how you've responded to the light you've been given, and did you act according to the law within your heart, or the law that was given you once in stone, now in scripture? because we're all going to be judged according to deeds. Either the deeds of Jesus, which will save you, or your own deeds, which will condemn you. But you see here in this parable, it's a matter of having knowledge of the master's will that causes either lighter or greater judgment. And so this is what will happen to the people who've never heard. Yes, they will be judged on judgment day, but the judgment will be much different for those who've heard the gospel and especially for those who've heard the gospel again and again and again and again on repeat. The more light you've been given, the more opportunity you've been given, the more accountable you are. Friends, this is why James says not many of you should become teachers. For yours is a stricter judgment. That's a terrifying verse for pastors. I mean, it's awesome to stand on stage and teach people judgment day is coming, and I realize that, and it's frightening, and so we must realize that no one's going to get away with anything, and the more light we have, the stricter the judgment will be. Now, we'll get to the tension in a minute. I know you're feeling tension, and that's good. (laughs) We'll get to the tension in a minute, but let's move on. Now to verse 15, they show these Gentiles that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Now, I have two verses in the Sermon on the Mount I wanna wanna give you and then I wanna give you an illustration, okay? This is, if you will, simple morality without the law. Matthew 7, 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, this fulfills the law, this simple boiling down of all the law. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let's play it like this. Do you like it when people are rude to you? No, you don't. So don't be rude to them. It's wrong. It's a sin. In fact, the the first Corinthians 13, the description of love says love is not rude you see how this works. If you don't want people to backbite you, don't backbite other people. If you don't want people to gossip behind your back, what are you doing but condemning yourself? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is how simple God makes morality for us. He's given you the gift to be offended when people sin against you so that you would then know what is right and wrong and treat others accordingly. And then Matthew 7, 1 to 2, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Now, we, Justin did this very well last week, but let me just reemphasize. The ability that you have to point out wrong in others, every time you make a morality judgment call, you do realize you're setting a standard for yourself, Because you're able to see it clearly in someone else. Meaning you know it's wrong, but then you go and do the same thing. And so this gets back to the blessed or the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you just dish out judgment, light, or right and left, right and left, dishing out judgment. Friends, expect the judgment of God to be harsh for you too. That's what it says. The measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so if you're a very merciful and gracious person, again, we're not saying, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about sin. I'll sweep it under the rug. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to help you and enable you. We're not talking about that. We're talking about you self-righteously doing the same thing, pointing it out on others, saying, how dare you? Yet you yourself practice. And if you judge in that way and in that state of being, it's going to be measured back to you. Jesus is giving us a gift here. He's saying, look, be merciful. Understand the mercy you've been shown. Understand the depth of forgiveness you've been given so that you might then go and show mercy and extend forgiveness when people sin against you. Friends, I, I, I know forgiveness is harsh and I know, or hard and I know it's a process. But listen, if you can't forgive people, that may indicate that you do not understand the depth of forgiveness you've received from God it's always in direct proportion. If you are overwhelmed and amazed that God could forgive you your many sin, yet you hold a small slight against someone else and you're bitter at them for how they treated you or what they said or what they did. Friends, do you really understand how much you've been forgiven? How can you hold that small debt against someone when you've been forgiven an unpayable debt? All right, now let's, let's do this. All right, I'm going to update a Francis Schaeffer illustration for the sake of of verse 15 there. Let's read it again. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse. So we have accusing conscience, excusing conscience. Francis Schaeffer, uh, apologist, he's dead now, wrote a ton of books. He has this illustration in one of his books called The Invisible Tape Recorder. And he imagines, anyone know what a tape recorder is? Just throw up your hand if you know what a tape recorder is. Ancient technology. It's amazing. You can find them in museums everywhere. It's fantastic. So he imagines this invisible tape recorder that comes online at birth. And every time you make a moral judgment, it records, records, records. Now I'm going to update it, okay? How many of you seen The Hunger Games? You like The Hunger Games? You've just condemned yourself. Sorry. No, I'm kidding. They're good movies. So they're kind of these dystopian, futuristic, societal meltdown, you know, teenagers killing teenagers. That's what this is about. But the interesting thing about these movies is it's hyper-reality TV, right? There's cameras literally everywhere recording everything. There's no way you can escape the recordings. So imagine that reality was like that. And every time you were able to point out a wrong in someone else, something they posted on Facebook, something they did to you, something that someone said that came back to you from a third party, and you got offended and you were like, it makes me so mad what they did or said. It was recorded. It was recorded. It was recorded. Now, imagine judgment day comes, okay, and people without the law, I, I I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know it was right or wrong to do this or that. I didn't know that that we shouldn't be rude or we shouldn't steal or we shouldn't you know grumble and complain. And God says, "All right, let's roll the tape. Every time that you were able to point out the wrong in someone else, I'm not going to hold you to the law standard, my perfect law. I'm going to hold you to your own standard." Your whole life, let's, let's see how many times you were able to point out the wrong in others. All right, there's the standard. Let's see how you did now. You see, no one can escape the judgment of God. Every time we point out the wrong in others, we condemn ourselves. And so this is why mercy is so important, because blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But watch out, if you're a judger, that same judgment will be dished to you. And like measure. Be careful. You're not God. You have no idea what the judgment of God is going to be like for that person that you're judging. And furthermore, why do you want to step in God's place as judge of all the earth? That's my question. Who wants that job? I don't want it. Now, now I'm not talking about helping someone see their sin that they might repent and turn. I do that all the time when I do counseling and discipleship. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you self-righteously being the judge, stepping in God's chair with the gavel. That's what I'm talking about. You realize you're trying to be God, and it's not good, and God is not happy with that. It displeases Him. All right, let's move on, and we'll finish. Five minutes. On that day, when's this going to happen? When's it going to happen? On that day, according to my gospel... When God judges the secrets of men. Now, the secrets of men are this. We have all kinds of hidden secrets about us that we don't want other people to know. Secret conversations we've had. Secret thoughts that we've had. Things that we would be utterly horrified if it came out. We all have them. Every one of us. Romans 10, I'm sorry, Luke 12, 1 to 3. Beware, I'm going to start in verse 1 at the end. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now leaven was uh, a yeast and and they would work it in dough and the the leaven or the yeast would work itself out in the dough and then they could take a little chunk of that dough and put it in dough without yeast and it would spread throughout that dough. It was a way to, to keep the bread rising. And so the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And he says, beware of hypocrisy is what he's saying. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you had whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Friend, everything's coming to light. Everything. Here's another verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. You see, if you could let God be God and just allow him to be the judge, all the secrets will come out. Just give it time. And trust yourself to God and say, You're the judge. I'm not. I don't want to be the judge. You'll bring all the secret things to light. This is why I don't worry about conspiracy theories too much. So many Christians get wrapped up in conspiracy theories. It'll all come out eventually. It will all come out. No one's getting away with anything, friends. All the secrets, even the thoughts and motives, will be revealed one day. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything will be exposed. And so, when will this happen? On that day according to my gospel. Now, the reason Paul says my gospel, it's not that there's more than one gospel. It's that Paul in Acts chapter 9 received commission directly from Jesus to go to the Gentiles and to preach to them the gospel. And he says what it is in 1 Corinthians 15, as Pete mentioned earlier. Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he resurrected, and he was witnessed to by over 500 witnesses at one time. That's the gospel. And Paul received this gospel and this commission to spread it to the Gentiles directly from Jesus himself. That's why he says, my gospel, the one that I was given by Jesus himself. He, he flushes fleshes this out in Galatians. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, here's the good news, friends. Let's end with the good news. Jesus, when he came to earth, said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. That's what he said. I I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I wasn't sent on a condemnation mission. I was sent on a salvation mission. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. All of us, friends, are lost. We are without hope except for Jesus. Jesus. Without him, John 3.36, the wrath of God remains on us. It's there and it remains. Yet, the same one who came not to condemn will in the final day be the condemning judge. He will sit on the judgment throne. And we all will stand before him. And we all will give an account for every thought, word, deed, motive, And even if you're a Christian, friends, there's going to be an account. And it's not going to be an account for punishment because that's already been taken care of for the Christian. This is the good news, friends, that if you cry out to God for mercy, He will save you and forgive your sins through the perfect law-keeping of Jesus, through the sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross of Jesus, through God raising Jesus from the dead and he ascends and is alive forevermore. That act of God will save us if you ask for mercy and grace and turn from sin and have faith. It's the same motion. You're facing sin, you turn from it, and as you turn from it, you turn to God. That's repentance. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. You turn from sin and have faith in Jesus, and you can't do one without the other. It's impossible. And so you you turn to God for forgiveness, and this is the beauty. He will forgive all your sins. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar, and the truth is not in us. And so what we must do is confess our sins to God. Lay out your sin before God and those you trust. You know why? Because you're safe in Christ. And friends, because you're forgiven and have been shown so much mercy, go and do what's been done to you. Exercise that same showing of mercy. Exercise that same showing of grace. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Ask the Lord to give you grace to live out the one another's and the the fulfillment of the law, if you will, by the Holy Spirit's power, which is really to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. But friends, for those who reject Jesus, I feel so afraid for them because they will stand before God on judgment day. Jesus himself in their own deeds, with all their secrets revealed, with all of their knowledge of right and wrong revealed, and then they will be judged, and they will be sentenced, and it won't be awesome, and no one will have anything to say in their defense. And so my plead for you tonight is turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, and he will forgive you. Not only will he forgive you, but he will then receive you into the family. And you get to move from an enemy to a family member. A son or daughter of the living God. And then you get to be an ambassador for him. Asking others, be reconciled as I have been reconciled to Christ. All right, we're gonna celebrate that reconciliation and that work that Jesus did on the cross by taking communion. And we're going to remember that we have been saved. And maybe tonight you're convicted and you have not reached out and confessed your sins and asked for mercy and asked for grace. Tonight is your night, friends. Don't let another day go past without you turning from your sins and turning to Jesus and asking for mercy and grace. He will forgive you throw yourself upon the mercy of God and he will forgive you all your sins. For those of us who are Christians, I would encourage you, take communion with us tonight and maybe tonight there is some outstanding things between you and God and you need to confess them. Take this time as we sing and do business with God. Maybe he's convicted you during the message, something has come to mind. Don't let it pass. Don't push it away, don't suppress it. Deal with it, talk to God. And receive the forgiveness that he offers you because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus.